Welcome to Heart of Worship Church Podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. All right, tonight, I hope y'all brought something to take notes. If not, get your notes out on your phone. And take a lunch break or <laughs> oh no, no lunch break. We got 12 pages. We're going to be here all night. No, actually, we're only going to do half of it. I, I don't typically like to break up lessons because I don't like to break up a thought, but the way God gave me this one, it's actually two parts. So we are going to break it up. We'll do half of it tonight and half of it next Wednesday. But the topic, uh, the lesson is fortifying your war room, building a better prayer life. You know, we've been talking a lot about, you know, reading the, the, Leonard Ravenhill book and talking a lot about prayer um, and there's been a lot of questions and stuff so God kind of started to give me this and I think it's a good lesson to take notes and really kind of dive into today we're going to be looking at uh, closing the breaches and identifying the prayer killers basically these are the don'ts these are the things that will hinder your prayer life and then next Wednesday we're going to look at the things that that the Bible gives that will strengthen how you're supposed to pray biblically um, and things that you can do to help you in your prayer life. So today it's the the don't do's, and next week will be the the do do's. <laughs> um, actually, part of this was a started out as a manna, and I actually preached part of this at the women's prison. Um, it was the the sermon was the prayer killers, and a lot of the girls came up to me afterwards, and you know just very thankful. That's exactly what I needed. That you know that's what I've been praying about. I need the breakthrough. I need to get my prayers answered. Um, now, when I did that sermon, I only actually covered the three main ones because there was no way I could cover them all. But tonight we're going to go more in depth and cover about twelve things that the the Bible lists that will hinder your prayers. All right. So, ever wonder sometimes why your prayers have so much power and sometimes they seem to do nothing at all? In Scripture, there are several things clearly listed as instant nullifiers of your prayers. These things will cause God to not even hear your prayers, much less answer them. So, what are these prayer killers? The first one, number one, and at the end of this, I'm probably going to go ahead and do a printout with a do's and, a, and don'ts all on one side just break it down simple one word phrases these are the things that will mess you up these are the things that you need to 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 notice it's good to have to just like hang up in your prayer closet or wherever it is that you get to pray because there's so often that we'll start to have that hindrance and we don't really know what it is and when you can kind of look at that and say hmm, you know what i think i'm dealing with this issue right here lord we need to we need to address this let me pray about this it'll really i think help the first prayer killer is sin. And even though it seems pretty obvious, we don't always see our own guilt, so it is easy actually to overlook. If we're hindered in our prayer life, the first thing we need to do is seek God, repent of anything that we know we've done wrong, and if we don't know of anything, to seek God to, to search our hearts and let us know, you know, God, show me if there be any wicked way in me. If there's anything that is in you that is causing you to be in opposition to God, obviously he will not hear your prayers because the Bible is clear that he will not answer or hear a sinner's prayer except the prayer of repentance. 
The Holy Ghost will not hearken to the voice of an unholy man or woman except that voice come in humble repentance. Isaiah 59, 1-2 through 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. So if it seems like he's not hearing, the first thing we need to do is repent and ask him to show us if there's anything in us. And, you know, I've, I've kind of made this point before. You know, we all do that that prayer, you know, every so often, Lord, if there's anything that I've done, you know, that I didn't realize, you know, forgive me for it. But it's a good practice also to say, Lord, show me what it was. Because if we're just asking for forgiveness but not changing because we didn't even realize what it was, we're just going to continue to stumble in that same area. But when he really begins to reveal those things to us where we're wrong, then we can we can address it, fix it, and move forward. The next prayer killer on the list is unforgiveness. Go to Matthew 18.21. Pull it up. All right, read through it really quick. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seventy, which is basically just some absorbent amount uh, that he's saying that it's really more than you want to address, but you need to forgive him a lot. Therefore, is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants and when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and punishment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sore and came and told their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. And there's a key word here. He says from your hearts. In other words, not just saying or indeed, but you have to genuinely forgive that person. Because a lot of times we say, oh, I forgive them, but in our hearts we still hate them. We're still holding that, that grudge. Or we're bitter because we had to forgive them and that's not true forgiveness so he's saying if you from the heart have to forgive them so likewise shall my heavenly father do also unto you if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses so if you do not forgive others when they wrong you 
then God will not forgive you for all the times we have wronged him. We have to forgive others. Jesus kind of reiterates this point in the Our Father when he prays, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Even in the Our Father, when he prayed for forgiveness of our trespasses, he's saying, Lord, forgive us as at the same time as we are forgiving others. So we have to forgive others in order for us to receive forgiveness. Matthew 6, 14 and 15 says, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you yours. So if we are holding bitterness and unforgiveness towards somebody, it will hinder your prayer life. It will hinder God hearing you and it will hinder your salvation which is the most important thing. So we always have to watch for unforgiveness. And that's probably one of the things that the devil is going to use against the Christian, especially somebody in ministry more than anything else. Because by the nature of what we do, we are dealing with people who are controlled by the enemy. We are trying to save the people that are in the enemy's camp. So if somebody you know, is easily manipulated by the enemy or even possessed or oppressed, and we're trying to help them, the devil is going to use them in every way that he can to get them to attack us and to hurt us because he wants us to get bitter towards them. He wants us to lose our heart for them so that we won't minister to them. And at the same time, it kind of makes us hard towards everybody else too. So it's a great tactic because it'll cause you to lose your salvation while you're trying to save them. So we always have to be careful of that. And always seek forgiveness. And, and I always tell people, make it a point to separate the person from the spirit controlling them. When you always look at a person separate from the spirit that's controlling them, it can allow you to feel sorry for the person because they're allowing the enemy to manipulate them and, and use them and make you angry at the devil. You can get angry at the devil and war and rebuke and fight and go to town and deal with the devil. It's okay to be angry at the devil, but you can never be angry at the person. When you separate the two, it makes it easier. But watch, because the devil's going to always try to make you bring it back together and make you hate that person for what they're doing. But it's not them. It's the spirit that's controlling them. And we've got to try to always keep that compassion, even for the most wicked of people. The third one, prayer killer on our list, um, is a little bit less known or talked about. It's actually disunity in the family typically between the husband and the wife. The marriage of a man and a woman represents the marriage of Christ and the church. If that holy representation is desecrated or falls into disarray, then God will have no part until the guilty parties humble themselves and repent under the mighty hand of God. Now, I say the guilty parties because in the circumstance where one spouse is saved and the other one is not, there's going to be disunity. But as long as the saved spouse is humbled before God and is seeking his will, then he's still going to move on their behalf. But if both spouses are supposed to be saved and there's disunity in the, the representation, then God's going to step back from it until they humble themselves and get it right. Because the truth <laughs> of the matter is, is that he's talking to them and telling them what to do. So if there continues to be disunity, then it's because they're not listening. This applies to both, but falls more heavily on the husband because he is the spiritual <clears throat> priest of the family. And the priest must strive to resemble Christ in both selflessness and sacrifice towards the bride. 
He must love, honor, protect, and provide for her, even as Christ does for the church being the physically weaker vessel. Yet not dominate over her spiritually, realizing that they are equal heirs of God's grace, which is his favor and power, even as we, as the bride of Christ, are joint heirs with Christ Jesus of God's grace, power, and authority, as stated in Romans 8:17, failing to protect the weaker among you, especially those of your own household, or choosing to oppress or dominate over them physically or spiritually will cause God to turn a deaf ear to your prayers. It is a um, an interesting thing that Christ's representation in the family as the husband, the spiritual head, and the, the bride as the church is represented in these verses, and I'm about to pull it up in 1 Peter 3, 7, where it says that, Though the wife is the weaker vessel and she is to be honored as such and guarded and protected, they are still equal in God's grace. And it's a it's a reflection of how Christ, we became joint heirs with Christ. We are the bride, he is the groom, and but yet we are still joint heirs, which means we have equal inheritance of God's grace. So I dare to say, and I say I dare to say because I know there's a lot of denominations that oppress women in their measure of grace or their ability to be used by God. But this is literally saying that if you refuse to recognize your spouse as equal, your wife as equal in the heirship of God's grace, then it will hinder God from hearing your prayers. Because it says, likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. And this is one that a lot of people overlook, and it kind of makes me begin to realize why a lot of these churches that are so oppressive against their wives don't really hear from God correctly. And they teach a lot of wrong doctrine, because God has turned a deaf ear, because they are denying the grace that God himself Jesus died to give you that grace. He died to give you that favor and that power and that influence. And for somebody to deny it to you, I think, is a very grieving thing to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Now, the I think part of what offends God so much about this that he would literally say that it will hinder him from hearing your prayers is what you said, and, and also the representation of Christ as the groom and the bride and the way it's hindering the use of it. But at the same time, it's also um, the fact that it is a spirit that is not being humble, but it is dominating over. Because really, this encompasses to a degree all manner of those who refuse to honor the weaker among them. In Proverbs twenty-one thirteen, it says, Whoso stoppeth his ear to the cry of the poor, he shall cry himself, but shall not be heard. So if you refuse to hear the cries of those that are weaker in society, then God won't hear yours. You know, there was a um, an expression that I've heard a lot of the older people say that you can tell a lot about a nation by the way they treat the weakest among them, by the way they treat their women, their children, and their animals. And America's not too good in any of those categories. So you can tell a lot about a person by the way they treat those who are weaker and lesser than themselves. 
So God makes it very clear that if you do not adhere to the cry of the least of these, remember, when he talked about separating the goats from the sheep, that was the deciding factor in who he declared goats and who he declared sheep. If you didn't help the poor, the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the imprisoned, if you didn't reach out what what he literally called to the least of these, then he determined that you were not a true Christian and said and cast them off into the lake of fire. So he looks very, very, very negatively on anyone who oppresses somebody that is weaker or lesser than themselves. So, all right. Now, this is coming to the end of the the lesson, and of course I ran through it and I didn't really preach it, that I taught over there. And we're going to start looking a little deeper into some of the um, the lesser known, but now assuming that I am not actively sinning and I am not holding any unforgiveness or bitterness towards anyone and I am also making an effort to honor the weakest among me and not seeking to force preeminence. Um, but yet I seem, I seem to be doing everything right but my prayers are not as effective as they should be and so I've got to ask myself, okay, what's the difference? Why sometimes they are, why not? Why does that person seem to get it right and mine don't? What and how you pray matters. No, we're not coming to... Well, yeah, kind of is. It is, it is. It's coming to number four. Because it, it, it ties into how you pray matters and what you say matters. All too often, we simply pray for what we want. We beg and cry and even sometimes command God to bring our will to pass. That's not how real prayer works. True prayer is never selfish or self-willed, but humble and exists for the sole purpose of asking God to help us and others obtain to his will and not our own. Even Jesus himself prayed those famous words, not my will, but thy will be done. First John 5.14 says, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. So number four is that, We've got to pray in accordance with God's will. Because so many times we're sitting there and saying, God, this is what I want. This is what I want. Make it happen. When really we should be praying, Lord, what do you want? Tell me how you want me to make it happen. Like, what do you want me to do? Like when we change the focus of our prayer, instead of going down and saying, okay, God, I want this and this and this and this and help this person, this person, this person. If we'll take the time to go down and just say, okay, God, what do you want to tell me? I'm not going to pray at you. I'm not going to fuss at you. I'm not going to talk at you. I want to commune with you. Tell me what you want me to hear, what you want me to do. Give me the instructions and I will obey. And when we do that, he starts to bring us in line with his will and give us place in it. And he starts to give us roles to play out in his will. And when you do that, you're going to walk in miracles. You're going to see victories because his will is going to be brought to fruition no matter what. He's just allowing you to now walk in it and help be a part of it. When we're trying to bring about our will, it's a constant struggle and a constant fight and there's never any victory. But God's will will always bring forth victory and he's just going to show us how we can be part of it. And that's where we've got to change the mindset of the way we preach, of the way we pray, it's not a, God, this is what I want done. It's a, Lord, what do you want done? And how can I be part of it? How can I walk in obedience? Sometimes he's going to tell you, just shut up. Sometimes he's going to tell you, wait. 
Sometimes he's going to tell you, be still. Sometimes he's going to tell you, praise for 30 days. Every day, just praise. And you're going to think, well, what good is that going to do? And you'll see a huge victory at the end, but there's an obedience. Sometimes he's going to tell you, get up and go do something. Sometimes he's going to tell you, go tell somebody something that you don't want to tell them. He's going to give you different instructions, but it's going to always be, what do you want me to do? Not God make this happen or this is what I want done. We got to change the focus, the way that we pray and start praying for his will instead of our own. The truth is that the world has it backwards. Too often when we pray, we ask for things that we want according to our own will. The humble truth of the matter is that God is not here to serve us. We are here to serve him. He is not a tooth fairy to ask or demand our wishes to. He is our Lord and King. We should start speaking to him as such in humble reverence, seeking his will, instruction, and correction. We must stop throwing orders at him and start asking him to give us his orders that we can start being effective in the fight. When you learn how to talk to God rather than talk at him, you will be surprised at how much he has to tell you and how blessed you will be by his wisdom, counsel, and generosity. Remember James 4, 3 says, Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your own lust. And Hebrews eleven six says, But without faith, which is trust, we've got to trust God for his will, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is God, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him and his will. We've got to believe that he's God. And if we believe that he's God, then we've got to stop telling him what to do or what needs to be done. We've got to seek him for what he thinks or knows needs to be done. We've got to recognize that he is God. All good things are in line with his will. It's when we get out of his will and start seeking our own that things get all crazy. Because I always tell people, you know, we tend to think, well, I did it my way, you know. Oops, there's, I, I went and did it my way again. No, you didn't. Don't be so arrogant. You did it the devil's way. Because there's only two ways. There's God's will and plan, and there's the devil's will and plan. We have free will, but our free will is to choose which plan we're going to follow. Because if we're not in God's plan, we are by default following the devil's plan. He's just used our pride to convince us that it was our plan. And we're stupid enough to fall for it. And I would tell people a great example of that is is who you're supposed to be with. You know, when you're dealing with young single people, there's like almost 7 billion people on the planet. So that's like almost 7 billion wrong people and one right one. So the devil's plan is broad, but God's is perfect. And it's easy to fall into the devil's. It's harder to stick with God's. But when you stick with God, all good things will come. And when you're pursuing God, all of those good things are going to run into you anyway. You don't chase the things, you chase God. All right, the next one is an unthankful heart. And of course, there's actually a lot of scriptures on this, so I just grabbed a couple of them and we'll run through them really quick to prove the point that one of the things that will be a breach in your wall, in your prayer room, in your war room, that will be a killer or a hindrance is to have an unthankful heart. What was the thing that we hear the most about the Israelites when Moses brought them out of Egypt? They were murmurers, complainers. They were unthankful. No matter how much God did for them, they still complained. And we do the same thing. 
It doesn't matter how many miracles he performs in our lives. When the next little struggle comes along, we're murmuring and complaining and crying. If we learned to be more grateful and more thankful, we would get a lot more breakthrough in our prayer lives. First Thessalonians 5, 17 through 22 says, Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You want to know God's will? Give thanks for everything. It kind of ties into the scriptures that talk about being content no matter where he has you. Give thanks for wherever you are, in whatever situation. Remember the blessings and the good things that he's done. Quench not the Holy Spirit. Ooh, this implies that when you are unthankful or ungrateful and when you are a murmurer, that it actually quenches the Holy Spirit. So let's read that again. Pray without ceasing in everything. Give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Holy Spirit. Despise not prophesyings. Prove, which is test, all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And that kind of ties into what Daddy was saying about holiness. It's God's will for us to abstain from even the appearance of evil, to test all the spirits, prove that it is of God. Don't despise prophesying, which is basically usually correction. So it's saying don't despise being corrected. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. And above all, be thankful in all things. And I, I'll give you a little, and I really shouldn't, but I'll give you a little, a little preview for next week when we start looking into the things that are beneficial to prayer it's it's listed over and over and over that the prayers of a righteous man avails most if if you're not righteous he's not hearing your prayers which goes back to what we started with with the things that hinder prayer sin if you're in sin your prayers will not be heard if you're doing what god wants your prayers will be heard when you stop believing the lie that you can't it becomes a whole lot easier to do it exactly that's really one of the biggest hurdles is that the enemy really has you convinced that you can't do it, so you're defeated before you even try. You have no faith in it. Remember, you have to have faith. It says that you have to believe. I'm going to go back to that verse. You don't have to go back to it. It says, but without faith, it is impossible to, to please God, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is God and a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So if we believe that he can't keep us from sin, we're not really believing that he's God and that he can do all things. So to truly have faith, we have to believe that he is able to keep us from those sins. Now, we still have free will, but we've got to believe that his grace is sufficient and his power is strong enough that he will provide a way out of temptation. We just have to choose to take it. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it means it's possible. All right, Philippians 4, 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. With everything, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known. Always, always, always give thanks. James 5, 1. Unbelief, unbelief will hinder your prayers. We kind of already touched on it just talking about that without even kind of meaning to, but James 5 reiterates that point that we must believe. It says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed, 
for let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the lord so it says if you lack anything if you need understanding go to god and ask him but do it in faith and believe that he is able to bring you that answer that he is god and he will do it and you wait for it because if you don't believe it says that god won't bring you anything remember it says for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the winds and tossed for let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the lord so if we do not believe he will not hear all right the next one is number seven selfishness <coughs> James 4 verse 3 says, Ask ye and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust, ye adulterers and adulteresses. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye think that the scriptures say in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, purify your hearts, ye double-minded be afflicted and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. We ask for things we want. We pray selfish prayers. And when we get into the right ways to pray, I'm going to show you the examples given of scripture and all of the powerful prayers and the examples were really ways to show us to pray less selfishly. Now, that's not to say praying for ourselves is selfish because if you're praying for God to reveal something to you that you feel there's a hindrance in your life, that's not a selfish prayer. That's you praying to get in line with God's will, you know, but we pray things selfishly. We pray for what we want. We pray for things to happen the way we want. We don't pray for God's will or for him to show us what he wants to do. I think we waste a lot of time you know, yelling at God and, and praying for him to, to make things the way we want it when really if we would just avail ourselves and say, okay, God, show me why it's not working out. We could just waste, we, we could just cut out so much of that time because he would start to show us this is the problem. And then we could humble ourselves before him and, and let that problem be worked out. And then we get on track and we get to that destination for, you know, much quicker. We, we end up like the Israelites going in circles in the wilderness for 40 years because we're so stiff-necked and stubborn that we're not stopping to ask him how for directions, you know, how do we get there? But, and I would also say too that, okay, like for example, okay, I'm sick and the and I pray, okay, Lord, heal me. A lot of times, you know, if I got a headache, oh, I'll rebuke you in the name of Jesus, it's gone. But if I don't get that healing or that prayer, then I have to stop and start praying, okay, Lord, is there something you're trying to show me? Show me, okay, your will be done, but there's something going on here. Is there something you're trying? Is there a discernment? Is there something I've, I've upset you with? If I'm, Am I in a situation I shouldn't be? Show me your will. And a lot of times when we line up with his will, those other things will go away. All right. The next one is seeking vain glory. 
we don't really have a whole lot of trouble with that here because we don't put up with it. But in a lot of churches and movements and denominations, you, you do see this a lot. People praying and or speaking or preaching. <laughs> they, they do it really just to be seen and, and there is no effect. If you pray just for people to know that you prayed or to be seen, then God's not going to honor it. It won't be answered. Matthew 6, 5, and 6 says, And when they praise, prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, Pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which is in secret shall reward thee openly. So if you pray with the intent of just being seen, it will not be answered. God says, well, you already got your reward. You got attention. All right. Vain repetition. Again, not a problem here, but it is something that I think we don't pay attention to that we can fall into without realizing when we think of vain repetition we think of like a rosary where you're just repeating the same thing over and over and that is what it, it's about but i think also too when we get in the habit of praying certain words in certain ways and we start praying and we're really not putting our heart into it we're kind of just rattling off those things that we've become accustomed to saying all the time i think that kind of falls in those same same lines too that it's not really reaching the throne of heaven. God's not really hearing that because he knows your heart is not in it. Um, Matthew 6, 7 says, But when ye pray, use not vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. They think that they shall be heard. In other words, they not getting heard. God is not hearing that. So I think it's a... a a reminder that even though we don't do repeated prayers, that even in our prayer life to be intentional with our wording and not allow things to just kind of rattle off because we've come accustomed to saying it that way. All right, the next one, I don't know what number we're on at this point. Number 10, disobedience. Oftentimes God does not speak to us because we have already decided in our hearts not to listen to what he is going to say. Why would he tell us when he already knows we're not going to listen? If he has already told you to do something or not to do something and you have ignored him, why would he continue to speak to you? And I've seen this a lot of times where people will be like, I'm not hearing God anymore. And it's like, well, he already talked to you and you didn't listen. So until you do what he told you to do before, why would he tell you the next step? For example, we're praying. Okay, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. Oh, God. You know, I'm I'm called to ministry. Give me that church that you want me to be in. But yet he's already told me that I need to leave this town that I love and I don't want to leave it. And so I'm still praying and he's not answering me. And I'm like, oh, he's not hearing me. He's not. No, he already answered. I just disobeyed. I didn't listen. So why would he continue talking? He's not going to keep talking until he says something I like. He's going to wait for you to be obedient to what he already told you to do. Pieces, and it usually doesn't make sense until after you do it. But that was my scenario. I was in Baton Rouge long enough after my college. I should have been here 2012, 2013. But the point was, I knew well before I actually came that I should be coming back. But it was only until I got a ton of bricks scenario. God wrecked my world in a good way. 
uh, tore down my walls, and then I said, yeah, okay, I, I realized that I need to go with what I knew that I was leading me to come home. And once you're well, obedient, it's still disobedience, still right? Disobedience. And a lot of times delayed obedience is severe disobedience because God gives you things in specific timings, and if you miss the timing, then souls suffer for it. So he, he doesn't like delayed obedience either. First John three twenty two says, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Okay, this is very important. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because. That's like those ifs. You can underline that because. Why does he answer these prayers that when we ask him something, we receive? Because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. When you are obedient, he will answer those prayers. All right, the next one is idols and we're actually almost done with this we've only got two more and next week's going to be more fun because it's going to actually start to give us instruction on things to do to really break through in that prayer closet and different things throughout scripture things that i've always done but never really looked it up in scripture to see the biblical precedents like journaling and i start looking it up and i'm finding like all of the prophets god's like write it on a tablet write it in a book there's a lot of really good stuff we'll cover next week but we need to get this basis out of the way first. All right, idols. Let's go to Ezekiel 14, verses 2 through 8. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their heart. All right, now this implies that it doesn't have to literally be a statue that you are bowing to, even though that is really bad. It says the idols were in their heart. It was something that they put before God in their heart. They loved it more than God. And put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. So something that was a temptation and a stumbling block to them, they kept it before their face. Should I be inquired of at all by them? So he's saying, okay, they've got idols in their hearts. They put things before them that caused them to be to cause a stumbling block. Should I be inquired of them at all? Should I should I even go listen to them? Yeah, this is this is ridiculous. Therefore, speak unto them and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Every man of the house of Israel that setteth up his idol in his heart and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and cometh to the prophet. I, the Lord, will answer him that cometh according to the multitude of his idols. In other words, if they come before the prophets seeking me and they've got all these idols in their life, I'm going to answer them according to the multitude of their idols. That I may take the house of Israel in their own heart because they are all estranged from me through their idols. Because of the idols, they have been separated from God. And these, again, are idols in their hearts. They were still uh, pretending to serve God. They were still going to the prophets. But they had things in their heart that they put before God. And, of course, for us, these idols today can apply to anything from sports to TV to phones to computers to games. Anything that comes with family. I mean, you can even make your pre your your pastor an idol. And we've seen that in churches where they worship the leadership more than God. And they, they can't walk in faith to God because they've got so much trust in the, in the leadership. Anything that you put before God becomes an idol. 
And he says it estranges you. A while back, I had put a Leonard Ravenhill quote on Facebook that said, uh, you want to pull down strongholds of Satan, but you're not even strong enough to turn the TV off. And last night when we went into prayer, apparently God was pulling her into prayer at the exact same time. But and she shared that quote and she was like, except in my case, it's the phone, you know, and it's true. It's if that phone is if it's time for prayer, if God is calling you to prayer and you can't put the phone down, it's an idol. If you can't turn the TV off, it's an idol. If you can't put the food away and he's asking you to fast, it's an idol. Anything that we can't give up for God is an idol. So and it continues on that I may take the house of Israel in their own hearts because they are all estranged from me through their idols. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, Repent, and turn yourself from your idols, and turn away your faces from all your abominations. For every one of the house of Israel and of the strangers that sojourn in Israel, which separated himself from me, and setteth up his idol in his heart, and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and cometh to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me, I, the Lord, will answer him by myself, and I will set my face against that man. This is some serious words. And will make him a sign and a proverb, and I will cut him off from the midst of my people, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So when he's talking about idols here, he's talking about anything that we put before the Lord that we love in our heart more than the Lord, which can be money, it can be friends, it can be anybody really, form animals, anything, anything that we put before the Lord, projects, oh, we got this new project going on, this is something that I want to get done, I need to get this done, so I'm going to put my prayer time off, and all of a sudden you're getting broke out of the routine. These are things, but it also talked about stumbling blocks things that you know will cause you to stumble things that you know are a temptation and you're still putting it before you that proves that you love it more than you love god all right we got two more and then we're going to shut it down and pick up next week the next one is lack of reconciliation now this one basically takes unforgiveness and goes a little further because reconciliation is whenever somebody else is offended with us and we have to go and reconcile with them. It may not even be our fault. Like unforgiveness, like, if, okay, I'm holding unforgiveness. I know I need to repent of that. I need to apologize of that. I need to let that go. But this would be a reconciliation. A lack of reconciliation would be if Elizabeth is mad at me. I've done nothing wrong. She's just all kinds of mad at me. I have to put forth the effort to go and reconcile that friendship because if I don't put forth the effort, it will hinder my prayer life, even if I've done nothing wrong or had no guilt. Now, whether she allows that reconciliation or not is on her, but I still have to put forth the effort. Matthew 5, 21, 24 says, Ye have heard, and this is Jesus speaking, Ye have heard that it was said of them of old times, Thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell's fire. So Jesus was saying, 
it's not easier under grace than it was under the law. It's because it used to be it was a sin to kill somebody, but now I'm telling you, even if you're angry with them, you're guilty of the same thing. So you need to repent of, of your anger. He upped the ante. But then he continues and says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee. So if you're going up to the altar to, to pray and to bring your sacrifice, which to us now is really our prayer, um, and you remember that you have a brother out there that has a, an ought against you. Now, it doesn't say that you have an ought against your brother, that your brother has an ought against you, that somebody is upset with you. Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gifts. Don't even bother trying to pray until he says, leave it there. It's more important to go and try to reconcile that. Now, we're not going to read on because it's a little bit long, but you can. And it basically goes on to say that if that brother doesn't receive, then shake the dust off and, and go on. But if he does, you have gained a brother. So it's saying you've, you've got to try, even if you are completely innocent. Don't go and try to prove your innocence. Just go and try to reconcile. Make amends. Reconcile the friendship. If you got to take the blame, it doesn't matter. Bring peace. Go back. And then you can go into prayer. If they don't accept it, shake the dust off. That's one thing. But you got to put forth the effort because you may, as the word says, gain a brother. You're never going to reach them if they keep that bitterness towards you regardless. If possible... Live peaceably with all men. And like Danny said, taken into context, he was referring earlier about how now under grace, if you hate somebody, God says it's equal to murder. So he's saying you are in danger of hellfire if you let yourself become so angry that you are speaking curses and negatively on somebody and calling them stupid and foolish and worthless. Because when you get to that point, you're pretty mad at them. And if you hold that anger and it's not repented of, if you, you are literally in danger of hell's fire because he said that if you hate somebody, he counts it the same as murder. So yeah, I agree. It's not just the thou fool. It's, it's anything right. in that, in that emotion. What you looking at me for? <laughs> Every time. Oh, this is going to be fun. Oh, I know. I'm going to push your buttons as much as I can. And then when you get mad, I'm going to be like, you are in danger of hell's fire. Boy, I sharpened that iron. That's a spirit of Balaam right there. I'm just sharpening that iron. All right. All right. All right. Last one. And then we'll do the the much more fun lesson next week but this stuff is still good to kind of keep a point of because this is what will get us uh, messed up so that he won't hear us but once he does hear us then we get to do all the fun stuff that we're going to cover next week all right and the last one is not wanting to wait on god matthew 7 7 says ask and it shall be given unto you seek and ye shall find knock and the door shall be opened unto you but it doesn't say he'll open it immediately Sometimes he tells you, wait. And in fact, he's going to bring every one of you through probably several circumstances in your life where he tells you, wait, because he is testing, he is proving, and he is growing patience in you and seeing if you truly do have faith and trust in him. Isaiah 40, 28 says, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, Faineth not, neither is weary. There is no searching his understanding. 
He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might he increaseth strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And I had did a lesson once before about waiting on the Lord. And if you tie all the verses together that talk about waiting on the Lord, they tie into a lot of verses about trusting the Lord because we have to trust him to wait on him. But when we trust him and wait on him, he comes through for us and that gives us strength and it renews us and he gives you, it's like a spiritual power up when you really get that. But you got to wait on his answer when he tells you to wait. And then we're going to close with Psalms thirty-seven, thirty-four, that says, wait on the Lord and keep his way and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. And I love this one. Because so many times I've had to wait on the Lord, and I don't think I've ever gotten this verse, but this is an awesome encouragement if you're in a season of waiting, that it says, wait on the Lord and keep his ways. You have to wait on him, but in the process, you've still got to be obedient and walk in righteousness. And he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. So whatever the situation is you're going through, if you will walk in the ways of the Lord, if you will do what he tells you to do, if you'll be obedient, and wait on him to work it out, he will cause you to inherit the land. In other words, he will bring you victory. But not only will he bring you victory, but the wicked will be cut off and thou shalt see it. He will cause you to see that victory. He'll cause you to see the enemy fall. And that's a pretty good promise. That's worth waiting on. Don't pray for the other one to lose. No, but ask God for favor. Yeah, I would do that. I mean, I could say, yeah, Lord, help them hit the ball. I wouldn't pray for them to win because then you're praying for the other one to lose. And that's... Yeah. Right, because here's here's the thing. This is the, the importance of remembering that we're not God and that He is. He always knows what He's doing and He always has a purpose and we don't always see it. So though in our hearts we want something good, and I, I've given the example before when I was I was trying to help this person and a friend come, well, they didn't know the situation, but God was speaking through them and he was like, hey, if you saw somebody starving on the side of the street and you had a hamburger, would you give it to them? It's like, well, yeah, of course you would. That's the right thing to do. And he was like, but what if that person was the prodigal son and he was five minutes away from coming to that point where he was hungry enough to say, okay, I need to go back to my father's house. But you enabled him to stay in that pig pen by giving him that food. Your idea of righteousness, of what's right and what's wrong, is not the same as God. To assume that we know what's right is a self-righteousness. We have to always know that God is God and he knows best. So the right thing to do in that situation really wasn't to give him the hamburger. It was to pray, God, do you want me to give him the hamburger? Lord, if you want me to give it to him, I'll give it to him. But if God says, no, wait, then sometimes he wants us to wait and let him go through that circumstance. And so I knew that God was telling me to stop helping this person that I was helping and to step back for a while and let them go through their hardship. And then when I left there on the way home, I was on the phone with another friend who just randomly starts telling me about something that she saw about the struggle of the butterfly and how 
the butterfly, when it goes into the cocoon and it starts to become a butterfly, you know, it's a nasty little worm, it's in the cocoon, it comes to the point where it starts struggling to get out of the cocoon. But if you help it out of the cocoon at this phase, it literally dies. It doesn't have the strength to fly away because the struggle that it goes through is what gets the blood flowing and strengthens the wings enough to where when it is completely open, it has enough strength to fly on its own. Though you may want to help it in its struggle, you're actually hurting it because you're not allowing it to strengthen itself enough to fly on its own. So and I was like, okay, God, I get it. I can't, I can't help them. You don't want me to help them. And so what our righteousness might tell us, this is the right thing to do because I want to help them. God's righteousness, knowing more, might be saying, hey, step back and let me work something out. So even in the ball game scenario, though our heart would want him to hit every home run, there might come a point where God says, no, I need to humble something. And I know that because that happened to me. When I was a kid, I'd always hit the ball every time, and I knew I couldn't play ball. I knew it was God's favor. I knew he was helping me. And I got to the point where I was like, I'm not even going to try or worry because I'm going to get it every time. I kick ball as God just helps me. And when I got to that point where I was like, I knew I could do it, I couldn't do it anymore. And I, like, I, I literally could not hit a ball for like five years. And, but there was a there was a point that needed to be learned in that. So we can't always assume, and I'm sure that if my parents would have been parents that watched the ball at some point in that five years, they would have probably prayed, God help her get hit a ball. <laughs> but it didn't really matter to me all that much. Anyway, I didn't like ball. Right. I was still dealing with that situation, and, and God told me to go for a walk and go pray. And so I went for a walk down the levee, and I get down the levee, and there's this huge, huge eagle i mean like literally this tall standing and he's he's got a hurt wing and he's right there i'm like oh oh my gosh you know this bird what am i gonna do and i could see his mouth was open he was hot his tongue was white it was dry i was like poor thing he was probably trying to get to the river and somebody shot him down or he fell or something something's wrong with his wing i had compassion for it i'm like oh this poor thing i didn't stop to pray if god wanted me to help the bird or not i just like my compassion i want to help the bird so I'm like, okay, and so I keep trying to get close, and it's like, and talons, and it's like going to kill me, and I keep trying to get close. I'm like, God, I want to help the bird, and it's going to attack me, so I need you to talk to it, and I brought him some water, and tell it not to attack me, that I'm trying to help it, and I guess God had pity on me, and knowing that I was going to help the bird, even if it killed me, so I guess he talked to it, because the next time I walked up to it, he was calm, he sat there, he didn't do anything, I took some pictures with him, I went, grabbed the wing, and put, yeah, I did. Dewey still tells me, remember that bird, sis? He was like, that was awesome. I didn't explain to him later that I figured out it was actually a rebuke. But so I grabbed the wing and I'm kind of looking at it. I mean, this thing literally stood this tall. It was huge. And when I pulled it out, he pulled away and I felt it pop. I guess it was just out of socket. And then after that, he could fly. He was good. He flew away. Boy, I'm proud. Boy, God talked to a bird for me. I mean, huge eagle. I got pictures with him and everything, selfies. I go back home and I'm like telling everybody, Daddy, look at this thing I did. And he showed me the pictures and let me see that. I look, he said, that's a chicken hawk. I've been trying to kill that thing for two years. <laughs> and when he said two years, I thought it was that same person that I had been working on for two years. And I was like, oh, yeah, I get it. I wasn't supposed to help that bird. And God was basically showing me my <laughs> compassion. <laughs> Yeah, so like every once in a while, Dewey will be like, hey, sis, remember when God let you talk to that, like, like let you help that bird? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that was awesome. Uh. 
And so I ended up, because I helped that person more than I should have, ended up having to go around the bush again, and it lasted months longer than what it should have because I didn't stop to ask. I was going in circles, God, do you even want me to help this bird? When Daddy, I guess in the whole scenario, represented God that he was trying to kill it for like two years, and I was trying to save it. That's me, guilty, guilty, guilty. So, all right, there we go. We are done, and next week we're going to start the second part, building up your armory, things that you can do to have a strong prayer life. Thank you for listening to Heart of Worship Church podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.